Father, we come this morning and as we are looking at some psalms this summer, asking questions about what do I do with my fear? What do I do with my anger? What do I do with my grief, with my guilt? Um, would you help us this morning uh, to hear your voice clearly through your word? Would you give us um, not everything we need to know about anger and what to do with it, but would you give us something this morning? Would you, by your spirit, just give us a little of something? Because there is so much that boils within us over some of the things that are going on in our world, in our lives, in our relationships. God, we are an angry people. And we need your help. And we are thankful to you that you've given us your word um, through your servant David. So now would you speak to us and show us Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I was incensed. Never in my life had I experienced the smoldering anger that I was feeling at that time. I'd been in a new position as an associate pastor at a church for only six months when I discovered a conflict between two key staff members that had apparently been brewing for a long time, but was now becoming known to our elders. Two Christian leaders were essentially in a relational standoff with one another, and our elders, including me, tried for 18 months to see them reconcile. Every day that I came to work, the tension was unbelievably thick. I remember being on my way to the office for a staff meeting one afternoon, and things were so bad, I called ahead and I said to them, I'm not coming to a staff meeting until the two of you learn to talk to each other. And though the congregation did not have any clue what was going on, I could see how all the time and energy uh, of our elders was poured, being poured into resolving this conflict. And it was draining our staff and draining our elders. It was draining the life out of our church. People would, would say things that indicated they knew something just wasn't right, but they didn't know what it was. And because of all that, anger boiled inside of me. And much of it was righteous anger, right? This just should not be happening in God's church. For 18 months, I simmered on the inside about the injustice that was in front of my face every day. This is destroying our church. This is hindering the mission of Jesus in this city. We're not putting the relational glory of the Trinity on display here. I'm spending hours of my week dealing with this conflict and it's keeping me from doing the job that the church has called me to do. And on top of all that, I didn't move my family here for this, I thought. This is sucking the life out of me. And it's taking me away from my wife and my children physically 
emotionally, spiritually. But I have to tell you, as I look back on it, the more my righteous anger simmered, the more opportunities I had for uh, a volcanic unrighteousness, unrighteous, sinful anger to spill out like lava. And there were times when my anger blew up and I said things that were sarcastic, spiteful, just plain sinful to them and to others. Paul says in Ephesians, be angry, but do not sin in your anger. And I had failed that one a billion times. When I think about anger and the burning of anger, um, I can't help but think of Godzilla. I was going to show you a picture of him, but you know Godzilla, the king of the monsters. There he is. Uh, you know, that, that atomic energy would boil and build in him and his anger, and then finally he would just unleash it with his atomic breath on his enemies, annihilating anything and everything in front of him. And that's what I felt like doing. And I thought to myself, I would be justified in doing this, and boy, would it feel good. You ever feel that way? But, you know, I'm a Christian... I'm a pastor. I can't go around like Godzilla destroying cities with my atomic anger. So I just simmered on the inside. I simmered so much so that at the, toward the end of the 18 months, I was seeing a counselor and I was taking antidepressants, which were both extremely helpful, by the way. I'm for that. But that's what it had done to me on the inside. And then after a year and a half, it all blew up. The others were getting nowhere. One of them gave up and left the church. And so the congregation had to know what was going on. We could not make this work. The end result was that the elders asked those two leaders to leave the church. So in the aftermath of that... I, I was tired, and I just needed some time away to rest and to process and to pray. So I asked my, my friend and a mentor of mine uh, who lives in Knoxville named Jim if I could just come to his house in Knoxville and stay with him for a few days. He has a great spot in his basement and a beautiful piece of property. Um, I said I, I just need to be alone with God for a while uh, after all this. I wasn't planning to read any books. I wasn't going to do any work. I wasn't going to do any serious Bible study. I just wanted Jim to do one thing. Give me the space and the time to be alone with God and to give me just one Bible passage that I could chew on and meditate on and just hang on to for three days. And so when I got there, uh, Jim welcomed me to a comfortable place to stay, and, um, and he said, I've been praying about this, I've been thinking about this, and this is the passage that I think I'm supposed to give you, Psalm 37. Until that weekend, I was unfamiliar with Psalm 37. Sure, I'd probably read it before, but it was not familiar to me, and through Psalm 37, God spoke to me. 
God challenged me, and he encouraged me. In Psalm 37, God gave me something to believe and something to do when my anger burned. Now, I don't know where you are, but I imagine that there is a good many of you right now who have some anger burning within you right now, and you want to go all Godzilla on somebody or something. It might be stuff that's going on in our culture, and you you just either you'd like to or you have already unleashed your wrath on somebody. Uh, I just read something recently that said one out of six people has a family member they no longer speak to because of politics. Maybe you're one of those people and you have Godzilla bluffed someone in your family and it's done. Um, Maybe that's what's got you furious. Or it could be um, your marriage, could be parenting, uh, could be a friendship, could be something at work that's going on, somewhere that you sense, I have been wronged and I'm burning. David, in Psalm 37, approaches us assuming that we're already burning. He's assuming, and the first thing he does is he tells us, as he told me that weekend, he tells me to, he told me to stop doing something. Look what verse 1 says. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. That, the Hebrew word behind that fret not yourself phrase actually means to stop fanning the flame of your anger. It assumes the anger is already burning, but David is saying, quit fanning the flame. Quit kindling the fire. He didn't say the anger was uncalled for. In fact, in this case, I believe that David's anger that he's speaking of is righteous anger. He's talking about the wickedness of God's enemies. It's righteous anger. The anger is already there, and it's probably justified. It's an anger against injustice, against harm that someone else has caused you or someone else you love. And, and just so you know, being angry is, is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. The Old Testament uses this burning word over 130 times, but most of the time it speaks of the burning wrath. It's speaking of the burning wrath of God against sin. And so when we are burning in anger against injustice, we're bearing the image of God. But here, David is aware that we can burn with wrath against sin, but he's also aware that if we keep kindling the flame, keep kindling the anger, it can quickly turn from righteous to unrighteous anger. So, regardless of whether what your anger is about this morning, whether it's justified and righteous or whether it's just plain sinful anger, what David has to say to us will be helpful. He's teaching us what to do with that anger that burns inside us. And he's saying, first, quit killing your burning anger. And then, 
He tells us something else to do. So, how do we do that? It's easy to say, David, thank you. It's easy to stay, say, stop killing your anger. But it, it's, it's not fair to just say, stop it. you got to give me something else. <laughs> and so the Holy Spirit knows that. And he has David give us something else to kindle. If I'm not allowed to kindle my anger and my wrath, what can I kindle in my heart? What flames can I fan? And he gives us three things. He says, kindle hope, kindle love, kindle hope, kindle faith, and then kindle love. And this is where David turns. Look, in verse 2, he talks about kindling hope right away. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb, he says. He's He's saying, get your eyes off of the one against whom your anger burns and look ahead at what God is going to do. What's going to happen to the enemy of God, to the one who has um, wronged you? They will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. In verse 10, he says, look carefully at his place. He won't be there. Verse 13, the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees, the Lord sees, that his day is coming. So in order to kindle hope, we have to see what God sees. And God says... He's looking to the day when he will judge all sin, including the sin that's been sinned against us. God will judge the wicked. Well, then he goes on. In verse 9, he says, The evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So something's not only going to happen to the wicked, something's going to happen for those who wait on the Lord. Verse 11, The meek, those who wait on the Lord, will inherit the land and delight themselves. In abundant peace. So in order to, order to kindle hope, we have to see what God sees, not only that he will judge the wicked, but that he will bless those who wait on him and trust him. And they will delight in abundant peace. Fretting, or, or kindling my anger, says, I want to see justice now, God. But God says, no, I want you to see the justice that I will render then. Shift your focus from what they're doing now to what I will do then. Hope in me, God says. Hope in my justice. I said this earlier in the service that Paul in Romans 2 says that God is storing up for us on the day of wrath, and he's storing up wrath for us on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And again, it's like a giant tarp is hanging over all sinners. And the rain of God's wrath is filling it and filling it and filling it and filling it. Every time we sin, every time someone sins against us, it fills it and fills it and fills it. And one day it will burst and the wrath of God will be poured out on all sin. God says, I want you to see that. All evil will be judged. Now, for those who are believers who have sinned against you, who are truly in Christ and Christ is in them, then their evil will be judged in Jesus. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. But if they're not in Christ and Christ is not in them, then at that day, their evil will be judged in them by Jesus. 
That's why Paul says to us when we read this morning, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So God said to me that weekend, Quit kindling your anger and kindle hope instead by looking at me, the only righteous judge. Okay, Lord. But that justice is going to come later, and not soon enough, frankly, in my opinion. What about now? What else am I supposed to do in the meantime while I'm waiting you to mete out justice on those who have sinned against me? He says, kindle faith. And this is where David spends most of his time. Um, Fretting says this, I, I don't see you doing anything, God, and I don't trust that you're going to get this right. So I'll make them pay with a blast of rage, or I'll just smolder with a contempt that seeps out in sarcastic comments and simmering silence. So fretting and kindling that burning anger in me says to God, I got this, because you don't. But God knows that I will tend to trust myself as judge and burn with anger toward those who mistreat me rather than trust him. And so he has David say, trust in the Lord. As Martin Luther once said, the sin underneath all sins is the lie that we cannot trust the love and grace of Jesus and that we must take matters into our own hands. So because God knows that that's the bent of our heart, that we we will tend to not trust the love and grace and the justice of Jesus and tend to take matters into our own hands, he has David say, trust in the Lord. So in verse 3, he says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and perform faithfulness. Trust. Kindle trust. Put your confidence in, your security in God. When he says befriend faithfulness, uh, your SV Bible might have a note in the bottom that says another way of translating that is feed on faithfulness. Feed on faithfulness. Nourish your, nourish your, your, nourish your soul on the faithfulness of God. Nourish your soul on his trustworthiness. He can be trusted. And if you don't think he can be trusted, you will take things into your own hands. You will simmer and seethe and then probably blow up. So feed on God's faithfulness. Verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself. This is just another way of saying, trust me, God says. Trust me. Delight yourself means to refresh yourself in the Lord. Don't refresh yourself in uh, your burning anger. Yes, it feels good. He's saying, quit refreshing yourself in the burning anger and refresh yourself in me. The answer to our tendency to fight or flight is delight in the Lord. So I ask you, and I ask myself, as God asked me that weekend, what are you doing to cultivate your appetite for God? What are you doing to cultivate your refreshment in Jesus? And notice what verse 4 says happens when you delight yourself in the Lord. 
He gives you the desires of your heart. So does that mean if I love and worship Jesus and I go to church on Sunday that I will get that boyfriend I've been praying for? Does that mean I will get the car that I want? Does it mean I can... No. Because what happens is that delighting in the heart of God changes what your heart desires. Our desires are disordered. They're out of line. They're unprioritized. And delighting ourselves in the Lord realigns our desires to Him and all that He is in His justice and His mercy. And then He says, now that's what I want to give you because that's what you're made to have. Delight yourself in the Lord. Refresh yourself in Him and He'll give you that refreshment. How else do I kindle my faith? He says in verse 5, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. Commit your way to the Lord. That means, it's, it's a really cool word. It's very colorful. It means that commit means to roll away something onto something else or someone else. It's like a huge rock that's weighing you down that will crush you. And God's saying, commit Roll that off on me. Commit what? Your way, your journey, your path. Commit whatever this path you're on with being unjustly treated and hurt and you're angry, rightly so, about it. Commit that journey. Roll it off onto the Lord. And you say, it keeps rolling back on me, Jimmy. I live with the thing that makes me angry. I see it every day. Keep rolling it off. Keep rolling it off. Verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Be still. Be still and be silent. This is not a fight against the enemy and it's not a flight from the enemy, it's standing still before the Lord. Stand still in His presence. In other words, be present with God in the midst of this anger. You know, James, we read James 4, and James said, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, your desires are at war within you? You desire something, and you don't have it. And so you murder, you kill with your words, or physically. You covet, you, you, you envy, you desire something, but you can't get it, so you fight the quarrel. So our desires, is there something I want from this person or this thing? I'm not getting it. It's blocked. I'm angry. My wrath will be poured out on whatever gets in the way of what I want or think I need. And James says, you don't have because you don't ask. God, you don't ask, or you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. James is saying the same thing that David is saying. Whatever you're angry about, whatever is burning and seething in you as angry, quit looking at all that and look up and invite God into the situation. Ask. Bring him into it. Be still before the Lord. Be present with the Lord. And so maybe you need to do what was very helpful to me. 
You may, be, may, you may not be able to get away for three days, but get away for an hour and just be quiet and silent before the Lord and invite Him in to the seething, burning anger that's going on inside you. And then David says, wait patiently for Him. Charles Spurgeon says about this verse, wait patiently for Him. He says, that in a story, we wait for the end to clear up the plot. So the plot is a mess. It's thick. It's, it's, it's not good. But we're really in a story to wait to the end to see it cleared up and resolved. David is asking us to wait patiently on the one who is writing this story. But that doesn't mean that the waiting is not painful. Because actually, this Hebrew word actually means to writhe, wait in a writhing pain. Because sometimes your story, as you wait for it to unfold, and you wait for the day when God will resolve it all, sometimes your story feels like it's going to kill you. But David is saying, just as a woman in childbirth pains would wait because though the pain is fierce, the fruit is good. Uh, wait. Ride in pain if you have to. But ride in pain in the presence of the God who loves you and is writing the story. So God said to me, Quit kindling your anger and kindle faith in me instead. And he just unloaded through David all these beautiful, colorful descriptions of faith, delighting and refreshing myself in God, feeding on his faithfulness, rolling off my journey onto him, being still and silent before him, writhing in waiting pain before him. Trust him. Trust me, he said. Your problem, Jenny, is that you keep looking at them instead of me. Your problem is that underneath your anger is the suspicion that my heart can't be trusted to do what is right and that you have to take matters into your own hand. So be still, Jimmy. Roll this journey onto me, Jimmy. Wait for me to tell this story. Trust me. Fan the, fl- the flame of faith by looking at me. Look at me. And so David has given us something to hope when we're angry. He's given us something to believe when we're angry. And finally, he gives us something to do when we're angry. He says, kindle love. Because fretting or burning with anger tends to say, this is about me. I've been wronged. Look at me, God. Don't you see? Hey, everybody, look at me. I've been wronged. Fretting tends to be about me. And God, in his wisdom, knowing how we're made, says, no, you need to look outside yourself for a little while. And so, he keeps saying, uh, things like verse 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. Turn away from evil and do good. Verse 27 says, and verse 31, I think, captures what he's after. He says, the law of God is on the righteous person's heart and his steps do not slip. In other words, while you're waiting on God to have bring justice, while you're trusting God, 
and his good heart towards you in the middle of the anger. Love God and love others in the place he's put you. Dwell in the land he's given you. Love him and love others. Practice it. Look around you and ask, who needs to be loved? Fredman says, this is about me. Look at me. But love says, I trust you there to be the judge. And while I wait, I will serve you and I'll serve others in the places you've put me. I will dwell in the land and do good to those who are in that land. And Jesus takes it a step further and says, love your enemies. Paul said it this way. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Not Godzilla burning. Jesus burning. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So God said to me, Quit kindling your anger and kindle love instead. Go back home, Jimmy, and love me in the place I've put you. Love the people I've given you in the place I've put you. And yes, Love those who have mistreated you, misunderstood you, misrepresented you. Love. So, if you're like me, by this time, hopefully you're asking the question, how in the world do I kindle hope, faith, and love when all I want to do is keep blowing on the fire of this anger I have? How do I do that? In order to kindle your heart with hope and faith and love, you have to stick it in another flame. (laughs) You have to take that stick that's cold and hard and dead and stick it in another flame so that it lights. Take your heart to Jesus who though he never did anything that deserved the wrath of God, came and bore the wrath that you and I deserve. Stick your heart in the flame of the love of the one who, while he suffered the burning wrath of God for you, trusted his Father, rolled his journey onto his father was still and quiet before his father waited patiently for his father to write the story I know you're angry and I know some of you have every right to be and I I tremble I have trembled in front of this sermon because I don't want you to hear me say, you're angry, get over it, just trust Jesus. But the, the fact is, that's what the Holy Spirit's saying. Not get over it, but give it over. Quit kindling it. And instead, turn your face to Jesus and stick your heart in the flame of his love for you the one who took the wrath you deserve.
you deserve more than the wrath that that one who hurt you deserves. Let him light your heart on fire with hope and faith and love. That is why we come to this table every week. Because the Bible says that Jesus drank the cup of wrath. Remember he said that night, Lord, take this cup from me. He was speaking of what the Old Testament called the cup of the wrath of God. That God said all the wicked would have to drink to the dregs. The just and right and deserved wrath of God. Jesus drank that cup so that you and I could drink this cup. The cup that says you're forgiven and you're family. Father, would you come now and meet us? Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, meet us at this table. We are desperately broken people who continue to fan the flame of anger, even righteous anger, until it becomes unrighteous, sinful anger. Forgive us for not trusting your heart. Forgive us for not putting our eyes on you and your love for us, though we deserve your wrath. I pray for every brother and sister here who is struggling with some legitimate wrath and anger this morning. And I ask that you would be present with them, that you would woo them into your presence to wait on you and to look at you. And would you make this time around your table a sweet time of lifting our eyes off of the stuff and onto our Savior. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.